my bullshit meter is a finely honed machine. I can smell it a mile away. Can you? The first time I heard about a bullshit meter was the author of the pornographer's poem. What's his name? Michael Turner? But a bullshit meter, an interior measuring device. And when you come up against bullshit, you realize it eventually. I mean, when I was younger, I didn't. I didn't. I had to have that bug put in my ear by a novelist. I remember a girlfriend of mine. I was in my early 30s, I think. Her nickname was Kwon Lee because she was Korean. And I like Night Court. She was fine with it. She said one day, I remember where we were. We were in my 1997 Volkswagen Jetta, red, uh, CL, which was like the mid-range model. It came with a sunroof, and I loved it. I sold it for $2,000 and a half a cow to a farm girl. Anyway, um, Quan Lee was in the car with me, and she said, you laugh a lot. She was very direct. I really liked that. She said, you laugh a lot. And I remember thinking, yeah, you're right, I do. And I started to notice every time I was laughing. I wasn't laughing at things that were funny. She had a finely honed bullshit meter. I did not. But I stopped laughing at things that weren't funny for the most part. I mean, still, I do it, and I hate myself for it afterwards. You know, when you're at a party and you, and you don't know anybody, you become incredibly ingratiating. Or when you're out on the street and you've got to maneuver, you know, old people or neighbors. Ah, oh, I go on about neighbors, but you find yourself laughing at stuff that isn't funny, hacky stuff. Your bullshit meter is just redlining going, why, why, why are you talking like this? Stop it. It's, it's disingenuine. You're better than this. I don't know what you look for in a politician, but I want a smart person to do the heavy lifting for me. Right now, there's a lot of union busting going on in my industry. And I just want people to level with me and then take care of everything because I'm lazy And when some sleazebag says they're going to lower taxes and invest in my children's future, my bullshit meter goes off. I get bored. I get really bored. I start people watching, and eventually I find a martini to smash into my mouth. Maybe not everyone is filled with this much cynicism. Maybe there are people out there that still believe one person can make a difference. We need these people. Are you one of them? People want you to have all the answers. It's insane. I mean, that's what we do with marriage. I'd like, I'd like what, this one person uh, to fulfill all my needs forever. Okay, till death do us part. No pressure, though. Why do we always continue to set ourselves up for failure? We want our leaders to, to calm us down and say, don't worry, I'll take care of everything. We need answers. There's too, the unknown is too af- af- terrifying. And in this secular world of ours, where we don't have religion anymore to, f- to, to, to give us answers, we're, we're spinning around and, and we're looking for the corporatocracy and populism to give us the answers, to give us an, I- an identity. I'm not lamenting 
a turn away from religion. I'm just saying that I think we come with all these holes in us, and and so we'll take man-made answers for things that are unanswerable. But it's horseshit. It's just someone else's story. It's so weird that we'll kill each other when we bump up against somebody who believes in a different story. It's insane how important story is to us. It kind of drives me up the wall. You know when everybody is fascinated with X, you know, like terms of convenience. I I can't stay I I will I can't say the E word anymore. I have to say I I'll put myself in other people's shoes, but I can't say the empathy. We we killed it. We killed it. It's like seed in Venice Beach. Have you ever been to that restaurant? We were there years ago. The 13 was less than one, I think. He was rolling around in a wheeled walker. We lived right down the street from Seed. We ate from it all the time until one night we just couldn't have it anymore. We just killed it. That's what we do with everything humans touch. We find something good and then we destroy it, including our fascination with story. Now it's covered in blood. Now it's so important we can't do without it. Now actors call themselves storytellers all the time. I'm allergic. There's a mayoral by-election happening in Toronto right now. And Olivia Chow is the front-runner. And I, of course, will vote for her again. I've already donated to her campaign. Because she's the kind of politician I like. Somebody who works really hard and doesn't mind getting her hands dirty for lazy people like me who want everybody to be lifted up, who want homelessness to be mitigated and who want some sort of attention to the mental health crisis and the opioid crisis at a municipal level and, and, and who's, who's lived through um, the, the Doug Ford era and the Rob Ford era and, and who's still paying a price because of premiers like Mike Harris. I mean, we don't have, we have two subway lines in a city of seven or eight million people. It's broken. This place is totally broken. But the stories that the Fords and the Harrises tell are not ones that I am into. It's more along the lines of bullshit. I mean, there's fiction, and then there's fiction. There's a fiction that will help. There's a storyline that will serve. Why do we keep voting against our best interests? I like a tough old Chinese lady. Like, why don't we try that? Instead of all these old, rich, white guys all the time. Maybe it won't make any difference, but at least we should try. Don't you think? Try out her story for a while. Maybe she is the one that can take care of everything. Not that I don't have notes, Olivia. I've been watching some of your videos. So how do we do this? How do we communicate to a great many people that their hopes and dreams are ours? How do we communicate to them that their pain is valid, that we are listening to them? 
Well, if there's any politicians listening, here here are five things that you can start with. Number one, stop talking so much. People want you to listen. And if you're not talking, you possess the added advantage of not sticking your foot in your mouth. When you're talking, your ears can't work. When you're talking, you're not learning anything. Like right now. Oh, there's Marley next door. Can you hear him? He's the worst. I've got hours of audio recorded of Marley barking. But what am I going to do? The crazy lady that owns him, we share a wall. I live in a semi. I've got to be good. Oh, it's hard, though. I sleep with earplugs. And Zopaclone. Where was I? Number two, stop moving so much. Politicians are always flapping their hands around. It looks like Doug Ford is going to take off sometimes. Except, of course, that he would need one of those galaxy cargo jet planes that the army uses to move around tanks. A person in position of power never moves. The action comes to them. Number three, stop smiling so much. This goes along the lines with the earlier note about laughing all the time. The smiling and the ingratiation that a politician uh, activates around a crowd full of people that they don't even know. You know, I would suggest a neutral gaze will suffice. Number four, don't lie. Just don't. You'll be the first politician to not do it. This alone will ensure your place in history. Number five, do something ill-advised. Just once, just a little thing, something that your team would frown upon. This does two things for you. One, you, the leader, practice insubordination. This is really important when you have a whole bunch of people telling you how to behave. And two, it shows that you have a touch of the rebel. People love that. People love a contrarian, a rebel, a charmer, a rascal. Show just a sousson of that. There are times where this won't work. I mean, sometimes you just can't override the personality or lack thereof of the leader. Like the time that Rob Ford tried to throw a football and he just landed on his ass in the middle of uh, BMO Field where their Argos were playing. Or the time, the many times that Stephen Harper played uh, Beatles tunes on the piano. You can't, there's no workaround when it comes to those soulless shark eyes of his. What if a politician for once was just honest, was just straightforward, I mean, it would separate you from the pack. Everybody's so afraid, though, of telling the truth. That's why populism is so exciting. Because they come across as truth bombers, even though they're full of shit. And they supply answers. Black and white answers. Simplistic answers. Because that's what humans want. Everything's too complicated. Our lives are surrounded by things we don't understand. Everything from the television we use to the phone we use, and not just technology, but medicine and philosophy and the way money works. I mean, everything is so complicated. And we don't have religion anymore to provide us man-made answers for the unanswerable, for the absolutely unknown. 
Democracy, like secularism, is a difficult thing to maintain. It's ugly and highly flawed. But God, don't you think it's so much better than a whole bunch of bullshit? And now for the Bold Acting Newsletter, issue number seven for the week of May 23rd, 2023. Great ideas are a terrible thing. I'm editing video right now. I can't stand it. I'm too old for this. It's so boring. It's for a show my buddy Dave and I are making. It was his idea, and it's a great one. But great ideas are like spanks. I look great when I'm wearing them, but it doesn't mean I can skip the gym or start eating fries again. It's the execution of an idea that makes it worth something. Some recent great ideas of mine. Yoga classes on commuter airplanes. Other passengers pay extra to watch. Get rid of streetcars. Replace with cheap, electric, articulated buses that don't break down all the time. Make a giant Transformers robot out of the old streetcars. Invade America. They'll never expect it. Besides, Vermont has always secretly wanted to be Canadian anyway. Shout out to Maple Syrup. The Scratching Post. It's like a massage parlor, but just for back scratches. The Grilled Cheese Lasagna Sandwich. It's real. I've made and ingested a number of these, and I can tell you with all certainty, these are the next big thing. Ideas, though, are a dime a dozen. It's not the strength of the idea that will carry you through. It's the you. It's the work. Inspiration comes from a composite of experience, context, and gathered knowledge. The muse isn't some magical force from on high, I would argue. It's how we process information around our personal preferences. There's the inspiration you get from a song, where you're inspired to feel something you wouldn't have otherwise. You put pen to paper and you start writing. Then there's the inspiration you get from watching a really good show or movie. And you think, I want to do that. Except, someone already did. Then there's the inspiration you get from art or a story where the artist or writer makes it look so easy, you think, I could do that. But you didn't. It takes a pant load of courage or self-delusion to make something and then put it out there for all to pick apart. Dave and I have had a lot of show ideas together over the years. For this show, we're filming various proofs of concept. So far, we've been to a crime scene cleanup, and a couple days ago, I visited a somatic sex healer. This is the part my parents should skip. I wrote that in all caps so they could see it. I didn't know what a somatic sex healer was either. Dave sent me to her because I talk openly about my psychological erectile dysfunction. I'm rusty. I'm older. My testosterone levels aren't what they used to be. Not being in a romantic relationship means so many good things. But there are also things I'm missing. 
companionship, intimacy, and modeling for my boys relational collaboration with another human. Her name is Monica, and this is what she does from her website. Cultivating erotic wellness will not only deepen our capacity for joy and intimacy, but also lead to a world with less violence and more empathy. Big goals, but why not? First, we talked. She asked me questions like, what was your most wonderful sexual experience? I didn't have an answer. Maybe that's telling. All I could think about was, why did she use the word wonderful like that? That's weird. Clearly, I was still in my head. My head garners much of my focus, always has. But being in my head and being on a dance floor have never benefited me or anyone else. I overthink things, and I have a high center of gravity. These are just facts. She's playing some drum and bass now, and she tells me we're going to do some shaking. My inner critic turns into Clint Eastwood if he were forced to spend the weekend at Burning Man doing shroomies in a Speedo while manning the face-painting tent. But my intransigence melts away as I shake off the adrenaline that covers my skin like a fishnet bodysuit. Then we go into her inner lair, where there is a massage table, velvet curtains, and moody lighting. I've already set up my cameras. Monica tells me to disrobe as much or as little as I feel comfortable. She will remain clothed. I still don't really understand what's going on. She leaves the room. I take it all off and lie down on my back on the table. She comes back in and tells me she will touch me wherever I want in three-minute increments. Then she demonstrates what kind of touch she can do, depending on what I like. Then she'll move on to another body part after the three minutes. I ask her to touch my feet, and I immediately start falling asleep. I love my feet being touched. Then I ask for weight. I want to be smothered, I tell her. She gets a weighted blanket and puts it on me. A blanket was not exactly what I was hoping for. Then she put her hands on my chest. That didn't do anything, really. I asked her to put her hands on my abdomen, and all of a sudden, tears shot out of my eyes so quickly, so hard, it felt like they were hitting the ceiling and splattering back down on me in a convection current of bottled emotion. I was blubbering and heaving and snotting and crying like an American teen that just discovered Starbucks has brought back their beloved venti unicorn frappuccino. I was generating mucosal weather systems while lying naked on a bed with a stranger standing over me in a basement in Greek town. And this was just a Thursday. Do you do that? Do you zoom out like Google Earth, high above your present location, only to see how tiny you are? How funny it must look to a seagull with x-ray vision flying over you. Then Monica said, Do you want me to touch your genitals? I'm not sure anyone has ever asked me that in that way. Through the weighted blanket, she cuffed me while still holding my belly. I continued to cry, but I couldn't out-and-out wail. I just couldn't let go. It was too embarrassing. There was only so much of myself I could tolerate. 
I asked her what was happening, and she said, the body holds trauma in the muscles, and your body is releasing that trauma. A lot of it. I named said trauma a circumcision I could remember. I was four. A hernia surgery. My vasectomy. Do other people cry this much? I have to cry more often. What a release. After the session, I thanked her, paid her $282.50, and I went outside with my tripods and my ring lights. I stand there on the sidewalk for a moment, reminding myself to revel in this new lightness I'm feeling. A seagull hanging out in front of the nearby Big Carrot health food store looks at me sideways. I flush with embarrassment and walk to my car. Dave's in my show probably won't get made. Shows are hard to get greenlit at the best of times, and we failed to sell one when everyone loved white guys. But it doesn't matter. We'll just keep making them, and then we'll get even older and more tired and cranky. But there will be a record of those great ideas. If we can figure out how to use YouTube. It's the perspiration that makes it real. And speaking of perspiration, yoga on planes, people. Am I right? It's a license to print money. Take the seats out and lay down some mats, and all of a sudden your puddle jumper from Billy Bishop to Montreal Trudeau is either a workout or an Eiffel. Anyway, I should get back to the editing. Thank God the light was low in that massage room. This ain't pretty. This is 50. And you can't heal with your spanks on. Got a question for me? Send a voice memo to jasonbryden at gmail.com and I'll answer them on the show. It would be so helpful if you talked up this newsletter to your friends. Subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. And if you're getting something out of this, then I am honored. Please show your appreciation by taking a moment to spread the word. My advertising budget is limited. You can find me on YouTube at youtube.com slash jasonbryden. On Instagram, I'm at Jason Bryden of Canada. Or you can go to boldacting.com. It's time for this week's Q&A. Um, hi, Jason. Love your show. Um, my name is Melissa, and I live in Erin, Ontario. And I'm an actor, uh, but I'm wondering if I need to live in a big city in order to pursue acting. Thanks. Thanks for the question, Melissa. It depends on what kind of creative scratch you've got to itch. If, if you're in your 20s, then you've got to go to a major city center like L.A. or New York. you got to. you just got to do that before you're too old for it, before reality sets in. You know, while you're young and you have all that energy and you can just do stuff, no matter how hungover you are. You can just keep going and going and going. It's super fun to struggle in a really big, fun, exciting city. I lived, I, I didn't live in L.A., but I did four pilot seasons down there, 2008 to 2011. And uh, those are formative years. Those are fave mems. You know, L.A. is like 20 cities all stuck together, 
all united under a burning cloud of fire and uh, rage and um, desperation. And I loved it. I loved it. The weather is always good. The traffic is always bad. The smog is big city. And um, the amount of cultures jammed into that one city. It's just something you got to experience. So you're out in air in Ontario. I mean, can you scratch that creative itch out there? Certainly self-tapes help. You don't have to be in a city to audition anymore. You do have to be in a province. You know, tax breaks depend on where you pay your taxes. So, and that'll that'll affect casting. So, um, and you've got to have that CAVCO number. But anyways, I'm getting into the weeds. I think the most important thing is, is, is if the art isn't happening where you are, then to me, that screams an opportunity to make the stuff. Because wherever there isn't art, there's a whole bunch of people who want it, even if they don't know they want it. They'll want it. Build it, and they will come. So either make stuff out in Aaron or make stuff in a big city. Either way, I think out in a small town, you know, you're probably a bigger fish in a smaller pond. Uh, The competition isn't as great. And if you educate them, that audience will be loyal to you because you're the thing they know. So this is such a good question for for people starting out. Get thee to a big city and struggle there. Struggle there where there's a million other of you doing the same thing. You don't want to just stay forever in, in your hometown, I don't think, because then you'll always wonder what it was like. The prodigal son or daughter is a real thing. You can always come home. Hope that helps. Hi, this is Emily calling from Los Angeles. How do I get my kids into acting? And do you think it's a good idea? Thanks. Love the show. Uh, Andrew from Halifax. My daughter is 11 years old, and you know what? She loves performing, but I just don't know if I should get her involved in film and television work. Should I get her an agent? You know, what do you think? Thanks so much. Love the podcast. Yes, you should definitely get your kid into acting. Uh, Both of my kids did it, and they learned so much. They learned about the harsh realities of driving across town after school to go to an audition for Pizza Pops. They learned about filling out a form with all their information. Before that, they didn't even know my phone number. They learned all these practical things like how to wait in a waiting room, how to stand there, how to say your name, how to make eye contact, how to focus, how to memorize lines. There is so much great stuff. Also, they could actually earn some money, which is very hard for children to do these days. These child labor laws are uh, punishing They don't make any sense. It's not the Industrial Revolution anymore. We should take a look at this again because my kids are clamoring to to earn a living and their choices are very limited. I mean, all they get is an allowance from me and then money from their grandparents on their birthdays. And then they'll just, the little one will just start selling stuff. Stuff that doesn't even belong to him. He's just so desperate for, desperate for some cash-ish. So get them, get them an agent 
or get them into class. Unfortunately, it's going to mean more work for you, too, because um, as I discovered when I started taking my kids' uh, uh, working background, um, background performing, I had to be there, too. And um, they were excited. They were getting 15 bucks an hour to sit around, and then they got lunch. I mean, they loved it. But I didn't like it because I'm an actor. I'm not a background performer. Anyways, uh, this day and age, there are very few opportunities for kids to make money, for kids to learn about a professional environment. Why not get them started early? I think it's a great idea, especially if she loves it. You know, child actors rarely make it past child actor. So in effect, it's sort of like um, a prophylactic for having a child that becomes an artist in the future. I mean, I, I don't want to backstab my own people, but get them in there early. They'll see how the sausage is made, and they will have no illusions about what that life is like. That's it for the podcast for this week. Thanks for listening. For more information, go to boldacting.com. You can email me at jasonbryden at gmail.com with any questions. Send me a voice memo if you want me to answer one on the show. And don't forget to sign up for my newsletter. It's free. It's every Sunday. It's about a five or ten minute read. And you can find that at boldacting.substack.com. Until next time. <laughs>